Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up late on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today, we got my old pal Colin Brister back in the co-host chair as baseball season is sort of kind of almost upon us, but I had Colin hop on. Talk a little bit of kind of a uh, general overview of the 2023 Ole Miss Rebels, their title defense as defending national champions, and uh, Mike Bianco's legacy, and a lot of other stuff. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox at the top of the sports handicapping industry. May I give you a couple of stats from Skybox in 2023? In week one, they ended up plus 5.3 units in college basketball. You think, hmm, that might be nice. I didn't end up plus 5.3 units. I had to pay out my bookie. Well, how about week two of 2023? Skybox went a remarkable 65-43 in in their college basketball plays, a total of 50.9 units in the positive as i've been telling you guys if you listen to this podcast for weeks and months or years or however long you've been listening skybox absolutely murders it when to come when it comes to college basketball they are awesome in the nfl they're awesome in college uh, football they're awesome really in all sports but for whatever reason their numbers their matrix absolutely murders college basketball and if you're not on board yet you definitely should you're definitely giving away free money if you don't i can promise you if you like to wager on nfl playoffs and college basketball you are not going to have the success rate that skybox sports picks does it's just a fact of the matter at this point all you have to do is go online skyboxsportspicks.com sign up for a picks package you can try it for a day a week, a month, you can go all sports, you can go just NFL, you can go just college basketball, whatever you want. I'd recommend going for the year-long all-access pass. It will pay for itself and then some. And boom, you're all of a sudden essentially guaranteed to profit in the long run the way they're going. And I'm talking about profit huge. And you're definitely better positioned than you were five minutes before trying Skybox Sports Picks. When you do go online and buy a picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. Stop paying the bookie. Have the bookie pay you. Skybox is the only way to do that in the long run. Check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. So glad to have them a part of the Rippy Rights podcast. They just basically print money for our customers, which is good for me and good for you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford, a crown jewel of the Oxford community. For Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You're going to get a couple of newsletters from me this week on focusing on basketball and a little bit of football as well. And you get discounted meats. Greg has switched up the Rippy Wright special. It is now three Six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 value there. You're getting for 20 bucks. All you have to do is go in and show him proof of subscription and he'll get you set up with the three bacon wrap fillets. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your growing weekend. But then go browse around the store, find your own favorites. There's all kinds of delicious seafood, sausages, all kinds of delicious cuts of meat. I love the tri tips, I love the fillet burgers. It is truly the greatest butcher shop in the world. Greg wants to make your grilling cooking experience great. If he doesn't have it, he can get it for you. He's very approachable. Just go over there, in there, tell him what you want, and he'll get it for you and make it happen. He is the man. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. 
All right, here is Colin Brister on a general season preview for the Ole Miss Rebels. All right, we now welcome on. It's hard to believe it's almost this time of year again. Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, my good pal, Colin Brister, uh, has been hibernating throughout the winter. Actually, that's not true. I saw you at the Egg Bowl. You were awake for that one. I have a few questions. Um, One, are we doing this earlier because of the current basketball situation? Yo, well, one, yes, but as was the same last year, but when I was texting you about this last week, it was actually kind of late, and it's just one of those calendar things where, like, the season starts closer to the 20th instead of the 15th because, you know, I don't understand. The Mayans did it way back when, but they still reach, part of the reason we're doing this now, obviously, we always do one right when they start preseason practice, but uh, we record this on a Thursday night. They're going to start January 20th. I do feel like in some cases just a date range. That has been earlier, but, again, that yeah. – if there's another reason for it, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I think that's just a calendar thing. So, but yeah, the answer is yes. I, I can't talk any more basketball. I wrote a long story in the newsletter, just kind of uh, writing the obit. Naturally, they go win a road game by double digits, but I don't think that'll matter in the end. But yes, that's why you were here. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. The last time I saw you, we were yelling at, a, at another coach in the uh, in the suites at the Egg Bowl. So. Um, that was mid meltdown. Popped up to uh, you. Uh, we popped up to I think CMC's parents. All of a sudden, I look over, I see you, and then 10 minutes later, we're just watching well, – people know how that unfolded. Not great. Wasn't great out there. Um, so that yeah. was quite quite timely. Yeah, that was uh, – Thanksgiving night was uh, was was not was not great for me um, in multiple realms. Anyways, uh, yeah, so it's baseball season, man, sort of. They're going to start practice. My high school team's already started practice. It's uh, I, I'm just going to pretend that, uh, that basketball season is over. Um, I'll watch the tournament, and uh, we'll we'll talk about baseball because uh, I can't watch that basketball team anymore. I watched the game against Georgia, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to hurt myself anymore. This isn't fun. I mean, that's the thing about them is like – I mean, we don't have to get too far into it, but one of the things I wrote about on Tuesday night or whenever that was is like not only are they bad, it's a really tough product on the eyes. And I, we've talked about this a couple of times. They had that team two years ago. There was a borderline NCAA tournament team, probably came up a bit short, but like, did anyone enjoy watching that? Anybody have a good time? Like, you can't do that at Ole Miss. You got to be bad and entertaining or good and kind of entertaining. Like, you, you can't be boring, and that's what this team is. It's tough. No, like, at least when AK's team weren't, well, AK never really sucked, but at least when they weren't, you know, an NCAA tournament team, they had a dude that would go get buckets. Exactly. You know? Like, like Moody's last year, not an NCAA tournament team, but he'd go get buckets. You know, so I don't know. It's uh, it was at least entertaining to watch. You know, Marshall Henderson's last year that was not an NCAA tournament team, but him and Jarvis Summers would go fill that thing up. He couldn't guard a soul, but you know, um, I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't really, I don't know what Ole Miss is going to do in basketball. I know that I know that you know everybody probably thinks they're going to make a change, uh, but I don't. I, where you know, you better get it right because you know it. I guess I've been saying that. It, I was going to say it could get a lot worse. I don't, I don't actually know if it can. Well, I was about to say that might be the one benefit. And just in terms of optically attendance interest, I'm not actually sure it could get worse. Now, I get exactly what you're saying. You could make a hire, get it wrong, and nothing gets fixed. But at least yeah. they have that going for them. Whereas, like, toward the end of the AK thing, look, I think we all knew it was kind of time for a split. I think sure. even AK knew that to some degree. But there was that even looming thought out there of, are you going to do worse or better? Whereas in this case, just the sheer lack of adaptation in terms of how he coaches basketball, how he builds rosters, I'm not actually sure it, it, it can get worse. Like, 
if it gets if it's not any better, it, it, the, the odds are greater than not that it'll be more entertaining. Well, not at least it'll be new. It'll be a new pile of crap, like instead of whatever this is. <laughs> well, you know what the frustrating part for me, and, and we'll get to baseball in a second, I'm sure, is is what like I watch Pittsburgh and Louisville play last night, and Louisville's got awful, but Blake Henson can play, and then I watch AK, AK's team play, and that Buffin kid can play. Like, there's dudes that were on the Ole Miss roster that. When they they leave the oldest roster, they they they're better. That kind of is annoying. Crowley's at like sixteen and uh sixteen point eight and like nine uh assists or something like that down at a Southern Miss team that's pretty good too. I mean, look, I, that's another thing I wrote about the other night. Is like, look, you can't just sit there and say, see, everyone gets better when he leaves, but you also can't totally ignore that. I mean, it would be foolish not to. And again, they could they could use some of those scores, I'd say, uh, because they're certainly lacking for them right now last thing for baseball do you have any uh football thoughts because uh it seems like everyone is playing quarterback hey. at all this well yeah that's interesting um so i'll be the first to admit um i don't follow roster development at all like you know they show up in september and i'm like okay well this is what we got and let's see how we do I, i'm not the guy that follows the recruiting or, or the transfer portal or anything but it i think maybe i'm crazy um I think at least they're wanting somebody to compete with Jackson Dart to be the starter next year. Maybe I'm crazy and maybe that's wrong, but I don't think you bring in the kid that started at Oklahoma State um, if you didn't at least give him an opportunity to be the starter. Um, so that's interesting to me and and from the realm of, like, what's their confidence in Jackson Dart? And, and I have no insight or, or anything on that. I'm just – Curious, and that if you're, I get you've got to have bodies at quarterback, but I feel like if you were just trying to get a backup role, um, first off, you don't go after the quarterback at Oklahoma State, and secondly, I don't know if the quarterback at Oklahoma State would be okay with just being your backup, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's the part that nobody understands, and as I've had to qualify this each time, it's not necessarily a bad thing for Ole Miss. I mean, you're trying to get as many talented oh. pieces as you can, but like the if they they had to get another quarterback, they just had to. I have it on pretty good authority that I think the darts understood that. Um, but like Walker Howard makes sense, right? Probably a kid not ready to play next year. But you know, he moves up the ladder. He goes from third string at LSU, probably to second team here. And then, you know, he sits behind for a year, depending on how Dart does. Maybe he goes pro, maybe he comes back, and then you have kind of a debate on what to do at quarterback there. That kind of makes sense. You got the future short up. I think that's a huge win for Lane Kiffin's theory that he can go develop or he can go build depth in the portal with transfer portal kids with multi-years of eligibility left. I think that's a big win. I don't understand the Sanders aspect of it. Again, not knocking it, not saying it's a bad move or anything. I just don't understand how he fits into whatever plan that is. Maybe it's they're looking at it as Howard, the future after Dart, with a little a bit of an ability to put some pressure on him, and then just bringing a guy in to compete with Dart. I, maybe that's the way they look at it. I don't think they dislike Jackson Dart and doubt him oh. um, to a to a uh, I would say significant degree. I, if I were Lane Kiffin, I'd probably have reservations about his decision making, and you know the fact that he's just a younger quarterback that needs to take a step this year. But uh, the, the Sanders piece of it is what I think confuses everybody um, going forward. But, hey, if nothing else, it's a fascinating storyline, I guess. Yeah. I mean, no, it's not a bad situation for Ole Miss at all. Um, my biggest question, because, again, not not a big follower of the transfer portal of recruiting, have they signed somebody um, that, that will, A, rush the passer and, B, tackle somebody? That would be good. I would like some of those guys. 
That would be not yet. I mean, they got uh, Centarian Perkins, obviously, which is a huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right, a stud. But, but portal wise, not necessarily. And they lost two linebackers, right? They lose. Uh, they lose uh, Austin Keys to Auburn, and then Ashanti Sistron get the portal. So they're going to need that. And I feel like some people misconstrued. So there was a portal deadline yesterday, but it was just the chance to get into the portal. So you can't enter your name in the portal after January 18th. So what I would figure between now and the next signing period, which used to be a national holiday. Now I couldn't even tell you when the hell it is, is you'll start to see kind of golding as he gets his staff shaked out, shaken out. I would imagine you would see some of those coming, or at least they better, because to your point, you look at the defensive 2D now, again, incomplete picture, it's uh, it's quite frightening if you're Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that uh, Ole Miss coaches were out recruiting this week at local high schools because I saw one of them. Um, so, you know, hopefully they're, they're – I feel like they're doing a good job. I'm sure they are. It's something that – Again, I'm I'm not I'm not the biggest follower of it, but I feel like Lane has done a fairly good job of attracting and getting talented players to campus. Um, you know, uh, I think Lane would tell you maybe that, that he didn't do a great job at you know hiring a defensive coordinator last year, and, and hopefully this this hire of Pete Golding has shored that up some. Because I feel like you know as much crap as I gave DJ Durkin in 2020, I thought he did a pretty good job in 2021. Um, you know, and and hopefully that. Pete Golding will do that, that same good job in 2023. And I, I, I think Lane Kiffin will have a good offense. Um, I feel comfortable in saying that. So as long as, as Pete Golding can get Ole Miss' defense to the level that it should be, I think they'll be okay next year for sure. The, the schedule is kind of what screws them next year. Yeah, it's kind of an optical build for 2024 because that schedule is brutal. Speaking of Ole Miss's schedule, here's a great way to kick off the 2023 college baseball season. I got to ask, given the amount of pressure that's on this team, if things don't go well against the fighting Blue Hens, <laughs> do you make a move if you're Keith Carter? How nice, and in all seriousness, how nice is it for that crap to never matter again? It's it's weird. I mean, we've I never have for, to care. We've been doing this for what, like three years? I mean, off and on for like four or five, but like since we started kind of this iteration of the podcast, sure. two going on three, but you really haven't had a year like this since what? 2015 or 2017 like 2017 had all the yeah. Oxford kids that were real young and you know toward the end of the year that that theory that no, there were still people didn't... wanting to fire him in 2017 yeah because they didn't make the NCAA tournament at all one of like the couple times it's happening in his tenure I would guess 15's the last time right yeah. they go them off the Omaha appearance they sneak in as a three seed then they go kind of get their, sure. their their brains beat in out west that's really the last time you've had a normal year where there is no conversation about can Mike Bianco get it done? What's the future? Like, this is the first time in, what? I mean, that's seven, eight years at this point. It's going to be interesting yeah. and uh, honestly kind of relaxing in some ways. Yeah. Uh, please don't remind me that 2015 was eight years ago. God, I'm yeah, old. my um, God. I feel older by the day. But, like, it's it's weird to think about, though. Like, they're just going to play a baseball season. And, honestly, the last two years for you and I is – you know, as you know, fans didn't necessarily probably enjoy it, but it was very entertaining. The fact that like every SEC weekend was its like own significant story in its yeah. own, and like what does this mean for seeding? And then it all led into that ultimate question. Whereas now it's going to be kind of a completely different approach. It's just kind of like, eh, it is what it is. Not that the year doesn't matter. I'm fascinated to see how they kind of defend their title. But there's not going to be this cloud that funnels up, like all the storylines funnel up to for the first time in a while. They can kind of just go play baseball. I guess to package that into a question, there's a world where you get the best version of Mike Bianco and the best version of this program with that being the case, do you not? Okay, so I said this leaving Omaha, Nebraska last year. I don't know if I said it on here, but it's kind of scary that the most consistent 
for one of the most consistent regular season programs in college baseball, no longer has a postseason monkey on its back. There's no pressure when one of the most consistent teams in postseason baseball gets to the postseason, or excuse me, regular season baseball, most consistent regular season team. When they get to the postseason now, there ain't any pressure like there was last year or in 2021 when it's, hey, God, please get, get to Omaha. We never go to Omaha. There's no heat. So what are you going to do with one of the most talented teams in the country that has no pressure on them goes and just plays baseball? Um, that's what I'm fascinated to see. That I think, frankly, I think this is a program that – hell, I'll say it. I mean, let's start like this. I think they're back in the College World Series this year. Um, I think they're that talented. I think they're that good. And, frankly, with, with having the breath of fresh air, um, you know, blown into the program, I, I think they're going to be a team that consistently goes to the College World Series now. I'm kind of with you. Like, I think you're going to kind of see the glory years of Mike Bianco come out after this for however long he wants to continue doing this. And the weird part about that team last year was, yes, it was supposed to be one of the greatest offenses, maybe the best in the country. I think Tennessee probably usurped them from that pretty quickly. We all know the storyline of them underperforming. But them winning it in the fashion that they did, it's not like it was the end of a talent cycle where they were at a peak and they're like, now or never, you got to do it. You could argue they kind of came off a little bit of a talent cycle with Doug and Gardner leaving the year before. Now they're kind of just in this middle ground and it all came together. And this group of dudes somehow just got hot and it happened to where it's like, now it's not a complete retool. It's like, oh, what do you make of this team? Like you look, there's some question marks, particularly on the pitching staff, but like you largely kind of know what exactly they're going to be at the plate and in the field, which is kind of interesting coming off a national title. I would like to present just, just this, um, 2016, okay, this team was the number – they didn't do the seeding the way they, they do it now in 2016. I think that that was the year they would have the number nine seed. Um, and should have been an eight. Number, yeah, should have been a national seed. They were the number nine seed. 2017, we all know what happened. They played the young kids. 2018, they're the five seed. 2019, they're the 12 seed. 2021, they're the 12 seed. 2022, they win the national champion. Or they're, they're the national champions. Um, apparently, thanks to me and you, um, because what we said on a podcast is, is – you know, uh, we're now famous. Do you, did you know our names like show up at the end? Did you know that? So I didn't know any of this. So we're in that, uh, we're in the final episode of the season. So when that happened, that's a great sidebar. I should have brought that up earlier. So I I knew they were making the final episode of the season. I knew it was coming out later. I like all the dudes at the season. I I guess I don't know that many of them anymore, but like Mike again, and all those guys do an incredible job. I knew it was coming out. I didn't know they were doing this full on like red carpet thing where they're going to show it in a movie theater. And it was basically like a movie premiere, which is a very cool idea to whoever came up with it. But I was actually working on a story that night. It was actually a Thomas Mayo story. I was up pretty late and Chase texted me and was like, Hey, we're in this movie. And I was like, what, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean? And it's just you and I talking and then Chase talking on his pod for the beginning of the movie. And then they credit us at the end. So we can tell our kids that we were in a uh, Hollywood film. Me and you made it on ESPN. That's that's how I'm that's how I'm saying it. I we like made that. It on we ESPN. made a movie. Yeah, because I saw it on ESPN. You, um, so uh, credit to this this little podcast that we started three years ago in a studio in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, no, the, I, what I was saying is is this program has been consistent for a long time. Um, you know, it's been very, very consistent, one of the most consistent in the country, and they finally reached the pinnacle. So it's going to be fascinating to see um, where they where they head from, you know, especially this year and into the future, because 
frankly, the future of college baseball looks like it's going to be advantageous to Ole Miss. This, this looks more and more like, you know, at some point there's going to be equal scholar or, you know, a, a lot more scholarships and, um, you know, NIL. Uh, I don't know how Ole Miss has implemented that. You would probably know more than me on that. But I feel like if Ole Miss wanted to implement NIL, um, they would certainly be one of the few schools that could that could do that from a strategic standpoint. Um, so the future of Ole Miss baseball couldn't could not look brighter for sure. Yeah, that's well said. And I'm glad you brought that up because I had Chase on on Monday night to talk just to kind of a variety of topics and we hit some baseball at the end. And he was of the very strong belief that NIL is going to I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I can't believe I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but like greatly cancel out any sort of scholarship discrepancies. So far as to say that he's not even positive that uh, Corbin will be at Vanderbilt uh, within the next couple of years. But that day and age of Vanderbilt of having 27 full scholarship guys, Ole Miss spreading out room and board and books among the 11.7, he thinks NIL will level that greatly. I don't know exactly what Ole Miss's NIL situation is for baseball just reading the tea leaves and understanding that people care about college baseball here. Uh, they're not going to be the pores. Uh, they're not going to be the have nots when it comes to NIL and SEC baseball. So I think that will only continue to work to their advantage to where even if it wasn't intended to be so, even if whoever should be fixing it, shouldn't fix it, it is going to level the playing field greatly, which to your point is, I mean, it'll make the future for this program even brighter because they're not dealing with the disadvantages to the degree that they've had for really the entire time Mike Bianca's been there, which is a good thing for the sport, but particularly Ole Miss. Yeah, no, it's man, it's fun to be an Ole Miss baseball fan now. Um, you know, obviously the national championship and you win it the year after state does and all of that. But for me personally, I've just always wanted to see this program consistently or, or, or live and what its feeling should be. Um, and I think we're going to see that now. Um, you know, this this is a program that if everything was ever equal across the board when you talk about scholarships, it's one that always had the potential to blow up. You've got a you've got a head coach that has a system that he believes in. And for all the Omaha crap, and, and some of it was fair, but for all of that stuff, his team was always good. He never sucked. Even last year when they had maybe their worst – one of their worst regular seasons, they didn't suck. You know, it, it, so when you, you know, complement that with, with the guy finally breaking over the hump and winning the national title, um, it's it's something that in, – in, in, like we mentioned, you look at college baseball across the board now and it's going to be a situation where Ole Miss and Mississippi State are on an equal footing with a Florida and a Vanderbilt and a Georgia going forward. It's certainly something that um, – get you excited about the future of for, for those two programs. Let's take a look at what they lost and kind of what they had from have from a roster standpoint this year. So you lose what? You lose Dylan DeLucia. You lose um Kevin Graham. You yeah, lose that Elko guy. Yeah, that Elko guy, he was okay. He helped him a little bit spot starter. Um <laughs> he he wasn't he wasn't so bad. Um, I had it pulled up a second ago. I'm here trying to scramble in real time, trying to pull it back up. You lose Elko, you lose Delusia, you lose uh, Graham, Graham, JB. um, Bench, and Graham Dunhurst. Not. That was the other main one. There we go. I got it back pulled up. Got my notes back pulled up. But you return a lot else. And look, they've had. I guess we'll start here. They've had a couple injuries that are really going to hurt them on the mound, right? It was, I think Chase broke the story in the fall. Josh Mallett's undergoing Tommy John, so he will clearly miss 
this year. And it does not sound like Riley Maddox will contribute to the team this year. So that those are two pretty significant losses on the mound for a team that was probably already knew it was going to have to replace Delucia even probably before the draft and all that just seemed like the tea leaves are trending toward him probably going pro. But if you're talking about like kind of the margin for error being slimmer and them really relying on some of the talent they brought into the program, it has to start with pitching, right? Because you do lose your ace. You do lose a significant bullpen piece. And really I would have, I would have, if Riley Maddox stays healthy, he's a significant bull piece, bullpen piece last year. Don't you think so? Probably two significant bullpen pieces while trying to retool your rotation a bit. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously you lose Brandon Johnson from last year too. That was, that was yeah. Big. I missed that one. That was another big one. He was rather important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll say what I always say. Um, even when last year made me look like I was an idiot. I trust the guy over there wearing five to figure out the bullpen. I, he, they, they will figure out the pitching staff. You know, uh, I know who's taking the ball on Friday nights. Um, I think I may know. Maybe I'm crazy. Who's going to take the ball on Saturdays? I know who's going to be in the back end. Um, and I think they'll just figure it out after that. I, I really, I, I trust number five to to figure out who's going to uh, pitch in big situations. Um, and, you know, it's always huge when you've got the guy that you know you're going to roll out there on Friday night and he's going to he's gonna give you a, a solid effort every time he takes the baseball. And a kid that you know is oozing with confidence in Hunter Elliott. And that's the interesting part. You beat that drum all last year, even before me. And I was like, Mike always figures out the pitching. And then it got into, like, April and it hadn't figured it out. And then all of a sudden it clicked. And guess what? Like, the offense didn't hit. Like, last year was the full Mike Bianco experience to the nth degree. But I'm kind of with you. He always figures it out. And they have some talent coming in. I think rotation-wise, obviously, you're going to get Hunter Elliott on opening day. And then after that, it's probably going to be a pair, I would assume, a pair of newcomers after that. I mean, what, you get Grayson, you say that kid's name, Sonny Eight, which is not your typical Mike Bianco recruit, a kid that can touch 95 with a decent curveball and slider when he comes in there. Um, and a change as well, kind of a ready-made freshman with a four-pitch mix whose velo is – at least from the sounds of it from fall, someone who arrived with a little more velo than they a, a guy they typically recruit. I heard a comp, and I don't think you would know more than me, um, but I heard a comp with him, and maybe not from a strike perspective, but from a stuff perspective of Gunnar Hoagland. I mean, right-handed kid, top-rated kid, um, you know, maybe not as big of a draft buzz as Gunnar Hoagland, but I kind of like it. And I looked at some stuff – um, earlier today, as I was trying to prep for this, a little bit of the same like tailor made arm slot type thing where yeah. he just kind of looks very polished. And I heard, I heard high spin on fastball, which what Gunner had. Um, and I heard he had a you know, Gunner developed that wipeout slider after you know, he came in, Gunner came in in 2019 with a pretty crappy not crappy is not the right word, but a high school curveball is the way that when I heard it plays. Um, and he developed that wipeout slider. Supposedly, Sonia already has the the slider that that can get guys out. Um, I think he'll be the Saturday guy. No, that's projecting, and I don't know. I have no insight on that, but I, I think when Ole Miss rolls out there against the blue, is it Blue Hens? Yeah, the Blue Hens of um, Delaware. Yeah, I think I think he'll be the Saturday guy. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe Revis on Sunday. The the guy from is it Indiana? I believe college in Indiana, Indianapolis. I don't know. Indianapolis, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I think that may be your rotation. But the thing for Ole Miss, like, look, you know, you, you talk about the rotation or whatever. 
Um, they got a dude that in the national championship series threw five perfect innings back there too. So you you got options if you need it. You got a Mason Nichols that looked like a million bucks in the College World Series. Um, that that I know was trying to develop a changeup at the end of the late last year, so that maybe he could be a star. You got options back there um, to to bring in if if you certain if you need them. And you talk about a Saturday guy that I think I'm with you. I think it'll probably be Grayson Sonier on Saturday. But the one thing about that is you mentioned the Hoagland comp. You mentioned probably having a little bit better breaking stuff than Hoagland had there at that time, at least. Um, Hoagland's thing was, remember, he was the kid that, what, he only gave up like one walk or whatever his senior year. And it got to the point where if you really thought about it, it's like, is that a good thing? Because that means he's throwing the damn ball in the strike zone. A ton of great. And and, uh, Gunner really had to learn how to pitch. And I think that was the biggest difference between his freshman and his sophomore year is like, hey, this guy really needs to learn how to pitch and learn how to be a college pitcher. And I think there'll probably be some of that with Grace and Sonia, but like, I'm curious to see what that looks like. Cause you never really know till you get out there, but obviously it's great to have a highly rated guy who looks that polished already. Like, but I just wonder, like, I mean, you as a baseball coach, I'll put it back to you. Grayson, excuse me, Gunter, God, I'm going to screw this up. Gunter and Grayson, and also knew a kid in high school named Grayson Gunter. So that's just a lot of stuff floating around the head. Is that something you could teach throughout the course of a year? Because it looked like it took Gunter an offseason to figure that one out before he did. Do you think that's something that could kind of be picked up on the fly throughout the course of an SEC season? What 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 are you what are you asking about it to be picked up? Learning how to pitch, that. not just the fact you lean on your fastball and you throw it in the zone. Learning how to pitch to college level no. and relying beyond your fastball. I think you got to go through the fire so to figure that out, right? Because we're talking about – this is what gets forgotten about um, college baseball players all the time. They were always the best dudes on their field, right? Um, there's very, very few of them. I can think of about three or four off the top of my head that come into this program at an SEC level or really any SEC level, but especially Ole Miss, and dominate from the time they're freshmen, okay? Um the stringy hair kid that wore 26, he, he could do it. Um, the Keenan kid, he was pretty good at it. I mean, you talk about Tim Elko, like he didn't play as a freshman or a sophomore. Uh, you know what I mean? He so got beat out I by Keenan. Yeah. Like, I think you got to go through some adversity and through a fire to figure that out. So, no, is it possible that, that, that a guy's just overwhelmingly good and can just out-talent people? Absolutely. But we're talking about a guy, you know, we're talking about Hoagland. I think he's a guy that maybe had to experience some adversity and figure out how to come through that adversity um, because he dominated at the high school level. Um, So figuring out how to pitch, no, I think you're going to take some bumps and bruises along the way. And I think that's the situation where you come in as a sophomore and you you look up and um, he puts up the numbers that Gunner did in 2020 before, you know, uh, the pandemic and then has the 2021 season. So um, I think I'll put it like this. To be really good as a freshman, I think you have to out-talent people. Um, and hopefully, for Ole Miss's sake, if, if Sonia is going to be their guy on uh, Saturday, he's able to just do that. And then, as you alluded to earlier, uh, my guess on the Sunday guy would be the Xavier Rivas kid that they got yeah. from Indianapolis University. I got to say, hand up, never heard of Indianapolis University, but he's a 6'4", 215-pound kid, throws with his left hand. I uh, am not one to question Mike Bianco's talent evaluation by any stretch of the imagination at this point. So you figure you got a veteran guy there. But let's just say, for the sake of the argument, let's just say both of them aren't any good. And I'm just throwing it out there. I don't think that'll be the case. But when you talk about options where you lose um, a uh, 
oh god, Josh Mallets, and you lose yeah. a Mason Nichols, and you lose two potential options. Just kind of give me a couple other potential options that you think could become rotation guys. I think one of the probably the main ones I would assume is Mason Nichols. Another one is another freshman is the uh, oh, what's that kid? Tukian, same uh, that they are uh, the right hander. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's an option. I guess you could say Doherty, though. I think he's the closer. Is there anyone else that sticks out that maybe we aren't talking um, about at this juncture in time that could become a starter for this team? No, I think they like Quinn in the bullpen. I could be wrong on that. Um, i tell you someone – I'll tell you two names um, that are not newcomers to the program that I think pitch meaningful innings this year. Um, Braden Jones. Okay. even going – I think he's going to throw a meaningful inning. And there was a kid last year, and, and it gets forgotten about because he didn't pitch much in SEC play, but he pitched some early in the year in meaningful innings and maybe didn't have great luck. And I think they believe in him. Mitch Morrell. I think Mitch Morrell throws meaningful innings to Ole Miss Rebels this year. I think he's got, I think he's got good stuff. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm crazy and, you know, he, he doesn't. Um, but I, I think that's a guy that he stuck around, and I think they're going to have an, give an opportunity to this year in some form or fashion. When you went there, I was going to guess one of two guys, and it was either Kimbrell or Mitch Morrell. And I was leaning towards Morrell, and I'm glad you went there because I think that's a very astute point. It's like the other guy that pitched a lot, but not really because he was just completely awful. It just became a revolving door. They were having to figure the starters out. There was a lot going on. And when you just talk about returning pitchers in general, you what, you have Matt Parento, you've got Morrell, you have Kimbrell, and I think that's about it from a returning pitcher standpoint, right? I mean, everyone else you're going to kind of realize I mean, rely on them being uh, newcomers, unless I'm missing. Oh, Brayden Jones is the other one that you threw out there. So like they do have a couple options, but I think it will be pretty newcomer heavy, but I do think Mitch Morrell is a good one. I, I definitely think that is the case. What do you do with Mason Nichols this year? A kid that's pretty awesome has not really struggled yeah. at any point, just kind of whatever role he was thrown into pretty great. Awesome. In the college world series. Like what do you make of him? Is he's best version of him? If the rotation shakes out long reliever, like what do you, what do you make of how they might use him this year? Here's what I have to know about Mason Nichols. Um, Last year, I actually heard, um, I don't know if it was Bianco or Clement on a podcast. This was actually during the, the Omaha run. Um, talk about him developing a changeup. I need to know what that pitch looks like. If that pitch is developed, I think he's got to, I think he's got an opportunity to start. If the changeup's not what they, they, they hope for, where, you know, it's the competitive level pitch, um, I think he's a long reliever and a guy they count on in big leverage spots like, like they did last year. Um, if you remember, the game against Miami. Yeah. They let they let him go through the lineup one time. They even to to the point they let him come out and face one guy in the bottom of the eighth or the top of the eighth inning, excuse me, and then yanked him after he got that out because they didn't want him going through the lineup the second time. Um I think that's the the, the kicker with him is hey, if he's got that third pitch, he's a guy that goes through the lineup two or three times and dominates. So I need to know what that changeup that they were uh, assuming that they stuck with that. I need to know what that pitch looks like. If that's a pitch that's a competitive level SEC pitch, I think he's a guy that can start for you or certainly throw uh, go multiple times through the through the order as a long reliever. Closer feels like Jack Doherty's rightful place, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what gets undertold some about him? 
was, you know, yeah, obviously he was really good against Oklahoma, but he was really good a lot at the end of last year. Um, after he came out of the rotation, you know, he had a tough spill after that for about a week or two. But he was really good for a while after that. Um, and he was really good as a freshman. He went from – do you remember how that, like, came about? It went from, you know, uh, Ole Miss getting beat in Starkville to Jack Doherty is now pitching for the Ole Miss Rebels. Like, who the hell is Jack Doherty? And then it wound up he was the second-best pitcher on the team that was one game away from Omaha in 2021. Second-best reliever, I should say. It was um, post a gunner injury is that midweek game. They thought they were red shirt the kid. They let him take kind of a day like, whatever, we'll rip the red shirt off, let him go out there. And then he's throwing like 94. I forget what team that was in the midweek, but blown it by them. And they're like, well, I mean, you know, not much else is working great for us beyond Doug. Uh, why don't we use this guy like now? Well, like we have to. And then it all just became the case. And like, he kind of really needed him to be an awesome starter, which is an unfair ask of that kid at that point in the year. But it is crazy how quickly that came about. Whereas like last year, Throughout the shuffle and all that, I wouldn't say it's an unfair ask, but he got used in a lot of different ways, and it didn't seem like he ever yeah. kind of settled into a rhythm until later in the year. But to your point, was it bad throughout all of that? He just kind of got lost in the shuffle because it was like, what exactly is this guy to this team, which was no fault of his own? Yeah. People forget, that kid started um, the game seven against Southern Miss and was really good till the rain out came, or, or till, the, till the rain came. So – He's pitched in a lot of different roles. Frankly, he's pitched big games in the postseason, started big games in the postseason, and been really, really good in them. So, um, no, I think look, Jack Doherty is a weapon. I think it's kind of the it's kind of the Broadway situation, right? Where you remember in twenty one, where we kind of you know it's like, hey, should they start Broadway? You got to figure out. And guess who did it? <laughs> he did. Mister Adjustments <laughs> Analytics himself did it. So okay. I want to ask something. Um, our, our, our buddy Dylan Edwards was watching some of the, the fall scrimmages. Did you see this? Did you see what Mike did in the fall scrimmages? What? Opener? He shifted. There were there were shifts in fall scrimmages. Do we see a shift? Is that this confirmed? Year? I, I have not heard. Yes, that. there is there there is a uh I will try to find the photo while we're on air. Yes, I have seen photos where the Ole Miss Rebels shifted in fall scrimmages. Now, maybe they were just doing that because they were trying to force a guy to go to the opposite field. Um, but I saw photos where the second baseman for the Ole Miss Rebels was playing on the left side of the Oh, you were got less adventurous than me. I was going to ask, like, maybe they all just ate a bunch of edibles and they thought they were in the normal place. I will, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll have the photo here. I'll, uh, I'll send it to you but the i can confirm that during the fall the illness rebels did in fact shift so um you know we in all seriousness mike catches a lot or caught a lot of crap for um you know not adjusting and not you know using modern day stuff where i can point to a lot of examples where he actually did but broadway one being the biggest one in, in the arizona game three now did it work out no but it was absolutely the right move yeah, we put that narrative to bed, what, 2019, as we first started doing the pod? Like, the whole Mike Bianco doesn't adjust. That was pretty much put to bed then because he was forced to. But, you know, the, the funniest part about all of that is if this is true and he pulls that out in a game this year, he will start shifting after Major League Baseball banned it. <laughs> I sent you a photo of it. Um, but I'll be yeah, there. That, <laughs> that is a shift. 
That is absolutely a shift. There's three guys on the left side of the infield. I'd like a drug test on Peyton Chatney from that day to fully believe it, but there are three guys on that side of the infield. I'd like to know who's at the plate, but good on him. But, like, in my mind, I would just like to imagine that Mike read the newspaper one day, saw that Major League Baseball banned the shift, and was like, hmm, what is that? And then read into the shift and was like, we should do that. If the Ole Miss Rumbles come out of the shift this year, I'm just going to die of laughter. Just become the ultimate Tampa Bay Rays shift team. (laughs) Oh, there's shifts left and right. Oh, God. Oh, man. Man, I don't even know where we were. But, yeah, I remember seeing that uh, the Rumbles were shifting during false scrimmages. I'm like, wow. All it took was to win a national championship, and they believe in analytics. Now, that's not fair. They – I thank God, uh, you know, the, the team I root for and watch an inordinate amount of baseball um, doesn't bunt a whole lot because if they do, I would go insane. Um, I'm a big fan of Mike Clement because he's like, why would I bunt when I could get a hit or hit the ball over the fence, which is a good philosophy in my opinion. Yeah, and as much as we joke about it, the way they've in- implemented analytics over the last few years, as much crap as he caught about five, six years ago, is actually pitching-wise. And the way they've ha- helped guys develop pitches from an analytical standpoint and become better pitchers is something that's hard to quantify. And like, if it really someone really wanted to nerd out and write an article about it, they probably could. But like, that's something that doesn't get talked about enough that they've absolutely implemented that maybe has not shown up as obvious as like the team's OPS or them not bunting or a lot. They've used it on the mound um, yes. to their advantage in a very, very, very smart and very effective way. Yeah, they've done a masterful job of driveline and rap soto and those type of things. Um, they've made guys that were not good when they got to campus become really good pitchers. Yeah, that's um, a great know, way Taylor, to put it. Had, Taylor Broadway had a tough 2019. And then he was really good in 2020 when the COVID shortened season. And then he was a dog in 2021. Um, they have taken guys and they've seen what they've got. And they put them on the Rapsodo machine. They're like, all right, I think this would make you really good. And, then, you know, a lot of guys have bought into it. And it's really, really worked for them. Um, so, no, I, I think this is a program that we choke all the time. But I think this is a program that, from an analytics standpoint, uses it more – from a developmental aspect than they maybe do in the game. And that's totally fine um, because what they're doing is obviously working. Yeah, it's going to suck. We're going to have to come up with new jokes and new bits because the whole Mike Bianco, not even like the firing him, but just like every like we can't, we can't give the reigning national championship coach shit all the time, can we? No. That no, shouldn't be allowed. No, you can't yell because, you know, he pinch hit to blunt Ben Ben Van Cleve at College Station. You know, obviously that that didn't happen or anything. Um, or, you know, didn't bring Taylor Broadway into the game in the sixth inning and start when he had pitched all weekend. And, uh, but, oh, is that the one thing? Hold on. Is that the one thing that everybody's like, you know what, we actually should fire him if he loses his seventh series in a row to Mississippi State? That's just going to be a nauseating storyline. There's really no two and ifs or buts about it. If they drop <laughs> two or three – People are going to lose their mind for like two days and then realize they're the reigning national champions. But like on that note, I had a couple like last like kind of like big picture stuff about this team and we can just go in and get to that one now. Look, this really doesn't matter because it's college baseball and it's not how the sport works. But he would do well to start beating them more often because honest to God, states dominated them to the point of almost it being a statistical anomaly. And like that's not taking credit away from state or like removing blame from Mike, but just the reign of success they've had over what the last seven to nine years 
Yeah. It's not something that like a team you play every year in a three game series in a sport like baseball, you just see a ton. Like if that makes any sense. Like it would do well for a minor storyline if he just swept him this year. How about that? <laughs> um I'll push back it a little because what I'll say is this from two thousand and I believe it was two thousand and five to two thousand like twelve. Yeah, he did, he kind of had the same run against them. Um, so it's kind of just evened out over the years. So, yeah, 2005 to 2012, I believe it was. So, or 2005 to 2010. I don't know, whatever. They, they dominated state from that uh, for those years. So it's kind of just evened out. Um, but, I, look, I, I'm a guy that grew up rooting for Ole Miss and lived, you know, grew up 15, 20, 25 minutes from Starkville. Um, so I get, like, wanting to beat Mississippi State, but. I promise you, especially in baseball. It, for whatever reason, it matters to me more in basketball. Um, I guess it's just because usually in basketball, neither Ole Miss or Mississippi State can actually do anything in the postseason for the most point, uh, for the most part. But in baseball, I, I think losing to Mississippi State might as well. It bothers me a little more than you know losing to Auburn. But you know, I can I can let the baseball series go a little bit easier than the football game and basketball. I guess I'll just go ahead and get this one out of the way. I honestly had it as like a half joke question, but like Ole Miss has a national title. Mississippi State finally won their first one in 2021. Everyone kind of knows the history of the two programs, right? Like State was a college baseball power before Ole Miss was, right? Ole Miss didn't have a ton of history in college baseball before the Mike Bianco era. Well, now Ole Miss kind of returns serve and wins a national title the next year later, just total alpha move. I'm not talking about this year or maybe it's four years down the road. If Mike gets a second one, in all seriousness, I do mean this like pretty much halfway seriously. If Mike gets a second one before that program does, what like fill in the blank, Ooh. what does that say to you? Well, I always wondered what would happen if Ole Miss ever got one before them. Um, and they didn't. And, and State deserves credit for winning the one in, in 21. But look um, – I don't think it's any secrets. Mississippi State's had a, had a more successful baseball program <laughs> than, than Ole Miss, you know, over, over the course of history. What I will say is that Ole Miss has had a more consistent program um, the past 20-ish years under under five. I think, you know, I think that's what it would say is that, that Ole Miss has the more consistent program. I think, look, I don't think we're going to look up and see the Ole Miss Rebels go 5-25 and 25 or whatever state went last year, 8-22. Um, and, you know, State had a lot of reasons for that. Had injuries. State's going to be really good this year. But I'll Mike never that. does that, is your point. It literally no, never happened. No. But that's my thing. It's like, yeah, everybody's like, well, State was injured. And they were. But Ole Miss gets injured, too. Um, and they have dudes that come in and don't let them go 8-22. and 22. So, uh, I think that's just what it would say, is that Ole Miss is the more consistent program. Mike has always believed, and it annoyed the heck out of people, that if you consistently do things the right way, you will get to the College World Series enough and you will eventually knock down that door. He does things his way. He has a system. He operates um, the system the way he wants. And he, you know, he's going, I think he's going to find himself in the College World Series more. And I think by proxy, he, I'll say this. Hey, maybe it's a hot take. I, if Mike Bianco coaches 10 more years, I think Mike Bianco wins at least one more national title. So um, I think that would be a testament to, to the consistency of the of the program and what they've done. I'm kind of with you, and I agree in that sense too. And you talk about like the consistency aspect of it, 
And it's not even like a, this is not a knock on like the state thing. They've had what four coaches since Mike's been there. You had Polk, you had uh, more than that. Um, you had Polk, Cohen, Lamonis, Henderson, Kenazaro. So five. Yeah, I wasn't counting Henderson because he was the intern because, you know, sure. the whole uh, texting and the dugout thing, which seems to always get bad? in trouble, just kind of happened. But, yeah, you're right, four to five coaches, which is kind of Do, do you athlete. think Mike Bianco has ever texted in the dugout? Like, you're no. in a game. you think I, he's I, ever sent one text message in a game? No. And, honestly, I would. I don't think this is actually the case. But I would be more inclined to believe if you told me Mike Bianco locked his phone at home in a box and did not bring it to the ballpark, I think that would be more likely than the fact that, one, him texting in the dugout, but, two, just having a phone on the premises in general. I can safely say Mike has probably never fired off a text message in the dugout. What say you? Uh, yeah, I'm under 0.5 text messages um, from Mike Bianco in the dugout. Yeah, I'm going hard under on that. He might have been tempted a couple of times and like a light bulb went out on the scoreboard or something innocuous just to absolutely let someone have it. But I think he used to have a phone in the dugout, so maybe that was his vice. He could just call up there and yell at the SID. Do you know how sick my mind works that I can remember stuff like this? I do remember in a rain delay in 2018 on the last game of the year when they played Alabama um, to win the West, Mike had to check his phone during the rain delay to see how, like, A&M was doing and that if his team was going to get a boss because if they weren't, he was going to need to save a starter. I do remember him saying that. So, at least his phone is somewhere on the premises during the game. And on top of that, the great irony in all this is that's kind of how he got the Ole Miss job was using a phone within the dugout premises. Oh, that's right? a good point. Chate wrote that story a couple years ago where, like, he's at McNeese, he's trying to get the Ole Miss job, and, like, he has to call his secretary to get – Here's a blast from the past. The old Miss AD's number off like the Rolodex. So I'm assuming if it's a Rolodex thing, it's not a it's not a cell phone, although that is 99, 2000. I don't know. Mike could have been strutting around with the Nokia brick. I don't know what he had going on. But like well, as I we joke it. about it, he got the job because he was kind of, you know, using some cell phone communication devices as McNeese is in their conference tournament or whatever the hell it was. Uh, I can say safely that Mike has I think Mike maybe checked his phone for like a score, like I mentioned. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're sending text messages in the dugout. Though. Yeah, I'm with you there. And to bring this on the rails just a little bit before I keep you for nine hours on our opening podcast of the year, let's get to the lineup aspect of it because that's an interesting piece of it to me. Is they return most of their offense. We outlined that they lose bench, they lose Graham, and they lose that guy that I guess was decent named Elko, but. With the way the roster was last year and kind of the, I wouldn't say rotating door, but kind of different guys they had in the mix, they're going to return most of their offensive production. I mean, the infield, the middle of the infield set, right? You're going to have Gonzalez and you're going to have Peyton Chatagnier. You got Kemp Alderman back, who I assume will play a corner outfield slot. And you got TJ McCants back, who I think will probably be moved to a corner outfield spot because of Ethan Groff, who we'll get to in a minute. And then Calvin Harris behind the plate. So really, you're talking about what? First base, third base, and then whatever you do with McCants, that third outfield slot is kind of what you're looking at in terms of the replacement factor of the lineup. Did I miss anything there? Like, what do you kind of no. make of the lineup? So, so correct me approach it from this aspect. You get, what, nine hitters in a lineup? Um, six of them are set. You know, Calvin Harris can catch. Jacob Gonzalez can play short. Peyton Schottenhill will play second. Um, Ethan Groff will play center field, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I believe that that'd be the case. Uh, Kemp Alderman will uh, play in corner outfield. Um, he will hit at the very least. And then 
DJ McCants will will play one type position. So you have six guys that they're they're starting. Um, you got three spots. You got three spots to fill. Um, but now how Ole Miss does that is interesting. Um, you know they're lucky and that that TJ McCants can come on the dirt if he needs to. Um, and, but but you know for simplicity's sake, you've got first base, third base, and a DH spot. And how does that shake out in your mind? Uh, the Clarko kid, am I saying that right? From Who? Northwestern. Uh, what, what's the transfer from Northwestern? Oh, shit. Now I'm going to have to look this. This is very January baseball-esque. Um, Calarco, I want to say. Yeah, Calarco. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. All right. I think he's your first baseman. Um, DH. So, DH is just best of who's left. So, so you know. Don't really want to go there yet. Third base is either Leger or Burford, is it not? I would, yeah. And then look, I'm. It's probably a little bit of recency bias, and like there might be someone out there listening, thinking, being like Reagan Burford. What the hell? Look, kids, it's still a talented kid. Didn't work yeah. out for him last year. Not a great year for him, but I do think he'll be in the mix there. But yes, I I do think it will probably be uh, Leger. How do you say that? See, I don't need the phonetic thing. Leger, Leger. I heard somebody, maybe Chase on a podcast, say Leger. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I covered the team the last year and called Peyton Chatagnier Chatagnier until like February, until we got him for an interview. And someone was like, how do you say your last name? He was like Chatagnier, which is so weird because like when you don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, you're like, oh, this guy doesn't know much about the team. It's like, actually, there's no phonetic pronunciation. Mike tends to recruit guys for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the Cajun in him that is just like, actually, your name doesn't sound like. Uh, what it's actually spelled like, uh, all the way back to Kim or Dijon and uh, who Bossfield. Bossfield. It's it's a very confusing thing, but yes, I think that is uh, probably your third baseman. What do you make of Burford? Like, I mean, that's a look. He was yeah. kind of an error machine. Didn't hit well enough to overcome that, but there probably is a role for him on this team, don't you think? Look, they they did not recruit Megan Burford because he was not a good baseball player. Um, I recruited him because they thought the kid can play. And they started him on opening day. Like, I, I think there is some merit to that. Reagan Burford started at third base on the team that won the national championship on opening day. They saw something in him, okay? Um, I think the kid can play. He's got to stop making errors. I think he swings it well enough. Um, so, am I shocked if I look out there on opening day, he's third base, but I'm not. And I don't think it's a, you know, a bad thing for all this. Um, and now am I shocked if, if the Lejay kid isn't third base? I'm not. Um, but I think anybody writing off Raymond Murphy because he had a uh, 2022 is, is completely unfair to the kid. DH-wise, look at some candidates. I know one of the ones that had a pretty good fall that I think people are pretty high on is Will Furness, the freshman that's now from Nacogdoches, Texas. He's a kid. He's like 6'4", like 220, but is technically an infielder because I think he played like first and third in high school. I think that's a candidate. But what's interesting about this team is that there's no real obvious candidate. Like, you know, in the past couple of years, it was kind of like, is it going to be Van Cleve? Is it going to be Alderman? I was about to say Tim Rowe, but that's probably a little too far of a blast from the past. But like three, four options to where it's like, because of what you did lose at the plate, there's not three or four known commodities that could potentially be obvious options at the DH slot. Do you have anyone that you have your eye on there? Um, I think John Kramer 
Oh, that's another good one. Remember, they started him for a game or two. Started, he started in L- at LSU for a game or two. Um, and in games, they had to win, you know. So, I think that's another one that uh, I'm interested in. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Furness. I think that would be my, my first two that, that I would be interested to see how, um, you know, at, at the age, I don't, I don't guess I know any of the other names. Um I wonder if there's is there a, is there a pitcher that that is going to be a two way guy that we'll never see actually swing because you know that's always a fun thing. Uh, we were told that that Gunnar Hoagland and Doug McKenzie and and Derek Diamond could hit, and we never actually got to see them hit. So, so do we do we have that in any of the pitchers this year? Not that I'm blaming them for not hitting those guys, by the way, but that was always like a fun mystery that uh, those three guys were apparently good hitters and they never actually got to swing. The only other one that I just thought of that I'll throw uh, that I'll throw out there for you that I think probably if you set the over under on how many games did this kid appear in, people would probably take the under is Banks Tolly. The uh, apparently we'll never oh. see Banks Tolly, Meridian Community College kid from MRA, appeared in twenty six games last year. How about that? Had a nice. Uh, I remember he had a big hit against Auburn early on in that year. That being a possibility, and then the only other one I'll throw at you is this is not necessarily a DH candidate, but it is a candidate for a guy that maybe be, takes over in field or potentially an outfield slot and then moves someone to DH. Oh, you were going to say Tim Samay. Yeah, I think they like Samay. Um, I actually heard Clem on a podcast, on Ben's podcast in the preseason, talk about how he had a good fall. But uh, who, who were you going to mention? I was going to go with um, the uh, one of the all-time public ass-chewings, Garrett Wood. Garrett Wood. Garrett Wood, I forgot. About, I forgot Garrett Wood is back. That's shame on me. It no, was pretty look, Garrett, sturdy for them when they needed him in the very random spots they needed him for last year. If that makes any sense at all. Garrett Wood was really good when they asked him to, to play last year. That's a testament to that kid. After not, he made his first start in a regional championship. You know. Um, and was so, kind of nails for the most part. I know he had that. I joked about the ass chewing in Omaha, but that guy was not a liability. It's like, please don't hit the ball to third base. Like he was, he was no, pretty damn solid. And that's a guy I think they consider as a talk about clubhouse leaders and stuff. I would say that guy's kind of on the money for a role like that too. Yeah, no, the, the, he's a, the ultimate teammate. Um, no, I, I think he gets it bats for sure this year. I forgot I completely whiffed. That's on me that, that um, he is still at Ole Miss. Thank, thank goodness he is. Um, no, I, I think he plays somewhere and, and gets opportunities for sure because he certainly earned that and has some skins on the wall. All right, let's look at the SEC lastly before we get out of here. Um, stop me if you've heard this before. The SEC is going to be a real bitch. Um, a lot of good teams. Um, particularly in the West, man. Sure, yeah, I'm sure that Western Division is going to be, going to be soft, right? I mean, you got A&M coming off what they did in the first year under Slosh. You got State, who's definitely going to be better. I saw some kind of uh, people upset that they weren't ranked in the top 25 preseason. I don't really know how you make the case for that, given what they did last year and kind of what everyone else returns in college baseball, particularly in the Southeastern Conference. But then you got Arkansas, LSU, and who knows what the hell Butch is going to cook up in Auburn. I don't think many people had them in Omaha last year. Like, I mean, who sucks? I mean, I, I to, admittedly, as we sit here on January 19th, I have no idea what Alabama is working with. But it's not the Alabama of 2012. So, like, the, right. talk about a bear of a division, man. So, so here, here is the SEC Western Division. Okay, this is what the SEC West did in 2022. Um, 
You have the the national champions. You have two teams that finished tied for third. Okay. You have a team that finished sixth. Okay. In Auburn, you have the 2021 national champions, and you have the best team in the country that wasn't included in any of those. So, um, good luck because that division is a nightmare. LSU has spent an ungodly amount of money on NIL when you talk about the roster that they're potentially going to run out. And look, this will be a storyline all year. I think this will end up being kind of the less obnoxious Tennessee storyline. And look, no one knew what Tennessee was going to be going into the year last year. And then by mid-March, it's like, my God, are these – and to their credit, I don't even mean this tongue-in-cheek, like, are these guys going to lose? Because you remember how far they got into the SEC season before it was like – uh, are they going to lose a game? Like, how does that work? When When, when is that going to happen? I think LSU is probably that version of that without the obnoxious nature of it because, I mean, look, if you really want to nitpick it, even though they're uber talented, <coughs> excuse me, I guess the one question would be the pitching staff. But you got a, you got a world where they're going to run, what, a lineup of Dylan Cruz, Jordan Thompson at shortstop, Tommy White at third base, Paxton King in the outfield, that Pearson kid probably somewhere in the outfield. Is and Corey then Young come back? Trey Morgan at first. Saw, is Carter Young? Because he transferred to LSU, but I'm not sure if he went pro or not. Carter Young, let me look. I don't So he uh, was Vandy shortstop last year. Um he he should have been a first round pick, but he got hurt at 21 and he transferred to LSU, but I think he wound up He signed with the Orioles. Thank God, because they would have had him. Um, yeah, that team's loaded, man. Um, that was not a good baseball. Let me let me rephrase. That was not a LSU type baseball team last year that they had. Um, they were not good to bullpen, and you know they were really offensive, but um, not not a great pitching staff. Um, <clears throat> now they're even more offensive, and I think they've revamped the the, the arms with you know Christian Little and um, that tight arm. So. Here's a positive. Ole Miss has seen this guy in two uniforms. No more Jacob Berry. Yeah, yeah. Actually, funny, uh, no, they haven't. He didn't play this one. Oh, that's right. He had the wrist injury, right? That's kind of wild to think about. If he plays, does Ole Miss sweep? And if they don't sweep, do they make the tournament? The, the, the second question is no, they don't make the tournament. If they had lost one more game to anyone last year, they were not going to make the tournament. Yeah, they had to sweep LSU. So do they give Jacob Berry a ring? <laughs> you know, Jacob Berry, and, and you got to think, he gave them a ton of motivation from 2021 because that's how that worked. So uh, Jacob Berry, most influential Ole Miss Rumble ever. Uh, yeah, I like it. And, you know, to hell with a ring, I believe it was a wrist injury. Let's just get him a bracelet. Let him have that on there. You talk about another club that's a portal king. Arkansas hit the portal pretty heavy. Again, I don't pretend to know a ton of the guys they have right now. From that standpoint, I'd kind of like to see it a lot of new faces. But like Van Horn's team is very, um, I'd say, very, very highly touted again. Look, he's a good baseball coach. He will probably have them ready to roll, and they'll be pretty good. Where does Ole Miss finish in the West? I'll just put it to you that way. I, I third. 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 I'm, I'm going to go second. Um, 
don't know. I could be wrong. I, I don't think it's first. I think LSU. Look, there. You know, a lot of the times these teams that, that like LSU, they don't live up to the hype. I think this one's going to. Um, I think if you made me pick a national champion today, I'd pick LSU. So um, I just I think they're so good that they're. I think they're too good to screw it up. Now I thought that with Tennessee last year too, and I was wrong. But you know, Tennessee had some karma come for them that I don't know LSU is going to have. I'm 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 not a big like superstitious guy, but I do believe in karma, and and I believe karma kind of kind of showed up in Knoxville, Tennessee last year in June. Oh, dude, I'm so with you. I'll never forget where I was for that game three. I was playing a golf course in uh, South Dallas called Dallas uh, Golf Club of Dallas. Used to be like an old country club out there. And that game was kind of close for most of the game. And then Tennessee, I think, took a lead in, like, the fourth or fifth yeah. And I was like, gosh, damn it. Like, I was hoping these guys would lose just for the sheer storyline of it. And then all of a sudden, you got dudes poke back-to-back home runs, and you blink an eye, and Notre Dame's up, what, 5-4 or 4-3, whatever. Yeah. And they sought that thing away. And with what Tennessee had done all year, you didn't think for an instant that one-run lead would be safe. And I can't chalk it up to anything else but karma, right? If you act the way you do – it is eventually going to catch up to you. And as we outlined clearly last year, neither of us are play the game the right way. Don't yeah, no, no, no. die. What they did last year, as fun of as a villain as it was, was just patently absurd. Tony Vitello threw a bat at an opposing dugout that took one hop and then hit somebody. He chest bumped an umpire. I just want to make this clear about how so absurd that that was. And look, people start grew to hate it. I'm not even in the camp that hated it. I just found it so utterly ridiculous that it was entertaining, like the entertainment value surely from that. But, like, I guess to actually package that into a halfway real storyline for I really let you go here, that has to change to some degree, right? Because they never lost. Literally nothing went wrong with them last year until the Super Regional. They're going to be real good again. They might win the East, probably win the East. They're going to be real talented. But I would be shocked if it's to that level. And that bravada that he brings and that attitude doesn't work unless you dominate at the level that they did. And I don't see that happening this year. We were going to have to see a different Tony Vitello to a degree, are we not? Well, okay. I'll pose it like this. What usually happens all right, in college football, um, outside of maybe Georgia, when a team wins a national championship, and they, what are they going to get from everybody that next year? Like, you're going to get their best shot, right? Like, when Alabama shows up on somebody's campus in football, they get that team's best shot unless they're just, you know, they've quit, right? Tennessee's going to get everybody's best shot, and Tennessee didn't win the national title because they just pissed everybody off. Does that make sense? Like, everybody's going to get up because they see those cats roll in because screw them, um, because they acted like petulant assholes last year. You know, yeah, and it was that, in the complete absence of accomplishment. Like, it was so funny. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not big into, like, the Twitter fanfare stuff or whatever. But, like, you even had, like, a like who's proven himself to be a clown over and over again, talking about Wes Rucker, talking about, like, how Tennessee should be in Omaha or whatever. It's just, like, wrong for the sport. Or they were, like, good for the sport. And, like, the T – I think he had a TV ratings take. I think there was an outkick guy, too, about, like, what it does to college baseball that Tennessee has in the national title. Or it's not in the College World Series. Like, how – like, could you – Make it any more abundant. I, I refer to them as the new money team, that asshole that's never had any money in his life. Then he lucks into some money 
and he drives the Ferrari and he loves to tell you how much he makes like that type of guy. That's exactly what they were. Cause like the TV ratings, guess what? Didn't suffer. Cause Tennessee was not in the national title game. That's not really how college baseball works, but if they want to hang a banner for an awesome regular season, more power to them. But it was just so hilarious to watch that unfold last year where they're like, it's a crime that Tennessee's not there. I'm like, well, welcome to college baseball, man. Maybe win when you have to. Well, um, my favorite part was when they got put out of the the dude saying that they were going to keep building this dynasty. I was like, oh, they've won, they've won um, no college best, no no college World Series games since I was in second grade. I'm almost thirty. Hey, they've shut your none. dirty ass mouth. They won the 2023 Ox, uh, Knoxville Regional. <laughs> no college World Series games since I was in second grade. And we're we're talking about a dynasty. Um, Have you no, ever I, seen it, a team? Have you ever had a team? We've been watching college baseball pretty much our whole lives. Have you? Because favorites get upset in the NCAA tournament every year. Have you? Can you ever remember a team where anyone talked about that they got upset and it's a shame they're not in Omaha? Has that ever happened until Tennessee manufactured that? No. Do you know how big a breaks you have to be for to have the entire country root for Notre Dame? You lost on your home field twice to a Catholic school. No, what we you know we talked about Tony chucking the bat. We forgot the best part was in a uh, game one where the guy tells the umpire he's effing terrible, and then he's surprised he got ejected. He like dropped his jaw, and it's like he got the wide open mouth, surprised that the umpire threw him out after he literally said you are effing terrible. Yelled it. Or just like the I mean that may look like we we could get off in the weeds for this for hours. Or just the fact that Vitello did the bat thing because he's frustrated that uh, Auburn did a bat flip. The team, the, <laughs> the ridiculous celebrations of all time, bat flipped them on a go-ahead home run, and that was a bridge too far for Tony Vitello. Mike just calmed down. Can you imagine 2009 Mike and somebody threw a bat at one of his kids? He'd have lost his mind. And honest to God, I know you said, Mike, you're exactly right. And Mike's calmed down. If that happens in 2023, yeah, we see 07 Mike. I don't think there's any question about that. Because you know what he does? And every manager should do this, but I know Mike has them. Guess what he does? He has his team's back. And if that yeah. kind of happens to some short, squirrely uh, meathead guy that's been in the SEC for 10 minutes, guess who's going to go punk him? I mean, but the well, best part about it is, you know who really hates him is. Okay, uh, What's his? Yeah, Van Horn hates that guy. Hates him. And you know he worked for it forever. Yeah, and I'm sure it's kind of like the annoying protege. It's like I really should have fired this guy as an intern. I'm glad. I mean, it's great that he's successful, but damn it, I should have eliminated this when I had the chance. Is the vibe I get? <laughs> this guy go working insurance. I my god. And so I'm fascinated by that one. Last thing before I let you get out of here. One of the things I listen to a lot of NBA podcasts, and one of the things I enjoy when that Bill Simmons talks about is a team's title defense. Like in 2019, the Toronto Raptors, they won the title with Kawhi Leonard, and he left to go to the Clippers. And that team was competitive the next year, but no one really had any expectations for him. But they took the Boston Celtics to seven games in that COVID conference semifinals in the bubble and really gave them a run for their money. And for what they were working with, as Bill Simmons makes the point, is like that was a very admirable title defense. It's like, hey, this team might not be as talented as we were last year, but we've been here before. We've been in the arena. We've taken these blows. We're going to be a real son of a bitch knockout. So, you know, shoot us in the head nine times because I promise if it's eight, like we're not going down. 
And I'm not saying Ole Miss is that in that regard. They've infinitely returned more talent than any sort of comparison I could have made crossover there. But are you fascinated to see how Ole Miss defends this title? And do you give any significance to that in terms of, look, I'm not trying to do the whole Mike Bianco legacy thing, but in terms of just how the program is perceived. Like if they things don't go well for them this year, the pitching doesn't turn out, they fizzle out in a road regional, no one's going to say a damn word and nor should they. But let's say they make it back to the College World Series or they lose a really hard-fought series in a Super Regional and it's like, damn, these guys really battled. Do you think the optics of that matters at all, if that makes any sense? And how do you think this team will kind of embrace defending a title? That's an interesting question. Um, so I – this sounds dumb because it's obvious. I think the program changed forever um, on June 26, 2022, just because there was so much stigma around. They never get it done in the post – you can't say that anymore. There's, there's no pressure. Um, and it's not it's not that, like, like Mississippi State had no pressure last year, right? But it's that Ole Miss finally just got to take a breath because Mississippi State didn't have this stigma that they just always screwed it up in the postseason. Um, and Ole Miss did, and, and that's no longer a thing. So that's my thing is I get to see the program that forever has just been consistent in the postseason or in the regular season. I looked it up. One time, um, th- this team hosts regionals at a clip that is an extremely impressive clip, which tells you that in the regular season, they show up every single time. So I am excited to see, okay, how does the team that always shows up in the regular season, how does the team that, that wins 40 games almost every year and is always going to host in the postseason, ironically enough, obviously they didn't last year, how does that team – and how does that program go forward but without the the monster that was on their back from a postseason standpoint? Because I think it's going to be extremely successful. I said that the day after they won the College World Series. This is a program that has no pressure in the postseason now. And because of that, I think they're going to really thrive. So, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely excited to see how um, a title defense occurs because, like, obviously the goal is to win the national title. And they got that done. So how does that relieve everything from a postseason standpoint when you get there? Um, because in college baseball, all that anyone really cares about, I know, unfortunately, is how you do in the month of June. Um, and Ole Miss, I think, I think it's pretty safe to say, um, they will be playing in the month of June this year. How does that, how does that trend, you know, how does winning that national title vault them into what they can do for them? And like the last, no, I think that's well said. And like the last piece of that too is like you talk about the state thing, and look, they had injuries and all kinds of other stuff. But like, you know, they won the national title in 2021 and they entered the preseason unranked. And look, does that actually end up mattering to any degree? I mean, no, but just like from a sheer perception standpoint, part of that has to be the fact that no one talked about them past like late March last year because of the way they kind of fizzled out, whether it be injuries or everything else early on. And I don't know how that affects like a long-term perception or whatnot, but I don't think it's totally insignificant. And I'm kind of with you. I, I think this team will defend a title well. And honestly, you talk about a guy that's a pretty good motivator and we kind of make fun of his corny speeches pregame sometimes, but like Mike Bianco, if there's a guy that can kind of twist that into actual real motivation in terms of like having a target on your back, I'm interested to see kind of how he, and some of this we'll find out behind the scenes with like the season and all that, how he kind of conveys that message of like, Hey, like, we won a national title. A lot of you guys weren't here last year. Let's go do this again. You win one, that's awesome. You win two, 
well, you know, now you're a dynasty and now you can kind of, you know, yeah. put yourself in a different college baseball era. And I'm just very fascinated to see how he packages that message throughout the year. Because one of the things that Mike Bianco hasn't really had is that it's having a target on his back for a longer period of time. And I'm very fascinated to see that. And as we put the pod to a close, the last thing Chase brought this up the other night, kind of the last check mark on the old Mike Bianco box is, and I don't know if it happens this year. I don't know if it's next year. I do think it'll happen eventually. The last kind of thing to do is to go to the College World Series on your own home field, right? To have that super regional clinching game where you get the fans and all that there, and there's 12,000 people there going just completely nuts. That's kind of the last box to check in all of this too, right? Oh, yeah. You know, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, that that's it. I mean, what else have they not done? They won the SEC. They won the SEC tournament. They won the SEC West, obviously. Um, what else is there to do? Um, you've won a regional on your field. You want to run a super regional, it's way. That's that's it. That's the only thing left to do. Um, and I think that would be really cool. And I think a hot take. I think they have the opportunity to do that this year. I think this is a you know, if we're making preseason projections, I think this is a, a team that uh is a top eight seed or is close enough where they maybe wind up getting to host a super because, you know, the number eight or nine or excuse me, the number seven or eight national seed fall. Um I think this is a top eight national seed and, and, and they get that opportunity this year. And um, I'll say this, that Super Regional will be a whole lot uh, less anxiety filled after what happened uh, in Omaha, Nebraska last June. He is Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, as reported first here on the Rippy Wright's podcast. We do believe Mike Bianca's job is shaped for the short term. We'll continue to monitor the situation, see how it plays out. Uh, get into form, gear up for another year, and we'll talk to you soon, my man. All right, sounds good, man. All right, that was Colin Brister. Appreciate his time. As always, we'll hear a lot more from here. him as the college baseball season draws near. We'll be back at it on Monday with uh, got a couple of different uh, irons in the fire as far as potential guests. So stay tuned for that. Y'all have a great weekend, and we'll holler at you soon.